Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider, our second of the week. It's Thursday, March 23rd. Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, Pete Sampson. We and many other members of the media were in attendance to Notre Dame's first spring practice on Wednesday. Uh, news also popping up here regarding Notre Dame basketball. Micah Shrewsbury will be the next head basketball coach of the men's program. It appears he'll be introduced at some point uh, next week. I don't know if it's Monday, but... Uh, it's my understanding he's already on the job. We'll get into that, but let's first talk about Notre Dame football guys. We had an opportunity to talk to Marcus Freeman, watched uh, 25 minutes of uh, somewhat enlightening, not, not, not tremendously enlightening as usually the first five periods are not, uh, but just some impressions, guys, of, of the first day of spring practice. Well, Tim, as we said, uh, that first practice is a little more enlightening than the next one's going to be on Saturday. That's five periods because it was a pretty good roll call for us. Some of the things we're expecting to see over the last few months. Uh, it was good to see, not surprising, but it was good to see Aiden k 9 i among the still battling and Ryan Barnes uh, as well. And then I think everybody else um, gone from the team was expected. Uh, I don't know what that brings us to about 11 or 12 transfers. There'll be a couple more, but I do think, and I think Pete will probably talk about this. The good news is they are openly talking about being open to bringing in more players as well, despite being a couple over the limit right now. Yeah. It's, I, I think the things that struck me, um, I don't, I think I would be pressing to say that I had a Sam Hartman take off yesterday. Um, Cause we just didn't really see enough, we but didn't. Uh, we didn't either. <laughs> uh but I would say the receiver position uh, in terms of the most improved room on the team um, would be under heavy consideration for me. Um, you know, it's like the fact, and it's not even that Braylon James, Rico Flores and Jaden Greyhouse need to play much this year, if at all, but that is what I want my depth chart to look like in terms of, I already know who my next potential great receivers are before they need to be my potential next great receivers. You know, we're not going to talk about those guys in the way that we talked about Tobias Merriweather right. last year, which was laced with desperation um, the entire time. So that's something I think the cornerback room has the potential to be awesome. Um, and the safety position is sort of like what receiver was last year. Yep. where you are just like, yikes, um, they're they're just short of bodies over there. And then you sort of peel back the onion a little bit more. And it's like. It's a converted receiver. It's a grad transfer. It's a converted corner. Um, they really have had to sort of engineer safeties out of other positions there, which is not ideally how you want to do that. For the record, the five players uh, that will not be on the roster moving forward, and, and Ron Paulus, the third, was was actually mentioned after Marcus Freeman. Right. That was a surprise. Left the, yeah. yeah, left the press conference. We weren't aware of that one, but Philip Riley – and Justin Walters, a couple defensive backs, Caleb Johnson, offensive tackle, and Josh Bryant, the kicker. We have a question on that in the sec second segment, I believe, about whether they're still in school or, you know, some of that is, I don't know, a little bit unclear. We'll, we'll talk about that further as we move forward. But to your point, 
your point, Pete, I, I totally agree about the, rec- the receiver room. I, you know, we can say that Great House James and Flores, I mean, Flores is, I thought was really impressive yesterday. Um, no, they're not needed right away because we expect to, I thought Tobias Merriweather, Deion Colsey even carried themselves like, you know, you didn't, I didn't look at them the same way as I did at any point last year during August. I mean, I, you know, I, to, I, I don't look at those guys as, you know, young guys that hopefully they'll develop. You expect them to now Deion Colsey needs to continue on the path that he was on, but we expect Merriweather to do that. I thought Lorenzo styles body language was the best that I've seen. I didn't, I didn't see that kind of body language, certainly once the season started last year. So I expect him to make a, you know, a, a significant step back up. Jaden Thomas looks good. Um, you know, Caleb Smith, I don't know that I saw a whole lot of him yesterday, but yeah, the receiver room looks really, really good now. And I want to go back to what Pete said, because I've been resistant I think Tim Priester and I were the first people to say Clarence Lewis could one day move to safety back in 2020, actually after the 2020 season. But I have, I I felt he improved as a corner last year. I think he is good. He was in the four role last year. Is that, yeah, he was the fourth best corner last year. If Mickey can improve, Clarence Lewis can be about the fourth best corner again this year. And that becomes a playoff strength as cornerbacks. And if Christian Gray is your fourth or fifth best corner if he emerges to be just how about if he's as good as Clarence Lewis was as a 2020 freshman or as some other guy that can get in there and play you are then looking at five corners which is huge if you have a good defensive line and then if you're willing to hit the portal at safety and you can stay healthy you can survive at safety if you can stay healthy with Harper a portal guy Henderson and Watts I think you're okay at safety considering whatever else that we, we just said Stay, safety, even if you get a portal guy at safety, it, it's it's probably not it's not going to be a frontline guy that you're going to insert as a starter like you did Nick Watkins at corner a couple. No, uh, you just need another guy that could play because Harper already has a shoulder injury. You need another guy that can play there to help. Yeah, you do. You do. Uh, you know, I Xavier Watts, it's time for Xavier Watts to put it all together. I don't think it's unfair to expect that of him at this stage, is it? I don't. No, yeah, he's, he's, I think he's, he's been there long enough, enough now. Yeah, yes, what happens yeah. when you're not if you don't put it together as an upperclassman, you don't put it together. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think he's going to do that. Uh, I'd like to think that Ramon Henderson's going to take the next step, and I think you know DJ Brown's been a solid safety. It's it's the it's the consistency lapses that occur at times, especially as a tackler. You know, yeah, that, I think he has bad moments too that we really recall. Like he was terrible against Oklahoma State, and he looked like a guy that couldn't play all of a sudden. And he was, you know, he has a bad when he has a bad game, he looks unathletic, and you wonder what's wrong. But every once in a while, you look and you think, oh, he's he made some plays in 2021. He made some before he had the bad game. He made some plays last year. He just has really bad moments, I think, yeah, uh, athletically, and it sticks. I do, I do want to say with re- the, the reference to the Oklahoma State game, I, I, I the miscommunication coming from the sideline on the defensive side of the ball, I think contributed to a lot to the way the defensive backs played that that day. Just want to throw that out there. I think we've said that before. But uh, anyway, um, no, I didn't. Tim, do you realize, and I could be wrong here, but it, we – we did a video yesterday, Jack. How long did that last? That last seven minutes. <laughs> did we mention Sam Hartman's name? I don't. I'm not sure that we did. I didn't go back and look at, it, but I don't think that we did. And to Pete's point, you know, it was. 
I mean, I thought he looked on target. I thought he looked, you know, I thought the, his, the balls he threw yesterday were very catchable, but it was there. Imagine was, if he was off target. He was throwing to people with nobody covering them for a minute right, and a half. Exactly. <laughs> it would be but terrible news. Back to the whole narrative of last August that, oh, you know, Tyler Buckner was completing guys that, you know, when they're going against air, if a quarterback isn't completing those passes, there's a, we've got a real problem. So there wasn't a whole lot of commentary about Sam Hartman. I did try to keep an eye on, you know, like his interactions with Buckner. I think Buckner, Buckner looks like a really good teammate to me out there. I mean, he's interacting with Sam Hartman. He's got to be going through a, or has gone through a difficult situation knowing that, that he's not in a good spot here to get the starting job. But um, you know, the quarterback's room is Kenny Minchie to, is impressive to me. I like, I like the way he carries himself the same way he did in the interview, Tim, that we were in yeah. with him. I mean, he carries himself like a kid that's much more mature than a, a, a senior in high school, which is really in essence, what he, what he still should be. Um, you know, let's some of the, I, I'd like you guys to comment on some of the uh, commentary from, from Marcus Freeman from the press conference. I thought saying that all 10 coaches were approached about other jobs outside of Notre Dame was an interesting comment and as well as commentary on um, Brandon Hillman. I could identify seven of the 10. Um, and yeah, then and I, was I, I don't know about L Washington <laughs> Or like, I guess Harry Heastan is perpetually approached. Yeah, I think that counts. I think Harry Heastan counts. When yeah. he, Mike um, Mickens was promoted, which usually is yeah. what happens uh, after you've been approached. And I think, you know, to, the well, way Larry Mike Stuckey Mickens has were. built up that room is, I, I think, does not. First, I, I don't know why this is, but Mike Mickens does not probably get the praise that he deserves, Um, I think, in terms of the work that he's done to build the room and like, so develop depth, recruiting coaching all that but um i think it's you know i mean al golden since university of cincinnati was interested in al golden uh penn state was interested in jared parker how far down the road those went i don't know um but that's uh i think marcus freeman at least sort of presented that in a charitable light that this is a good sign for your program when your other coaches are wanted um and i think he's, he's right on that front yeah, well, Larry was approached by the NFL. Yeah, Stucky. Um, Stuck. Yeah, I mean Stucky. He's going to keep getting approached by everybody. Yeah, I mean Stucky is always going to be approached. Now he's a, he's a, I think he you know he's still young to the business as a as a uh, receivers coach, but I think his profile is going to take off here. And now again, I mean I think he's sharp enough that that he, ultimately he becomes a coordinator candidate as well. But there's a big difference between being a great position coach and being a coordinator. And I think a lot of times there's an assumption that it's just the easy transition. And I don't, you know, I don't think it's as that easy for every coach that that excels coaching his position. Uh, but three new coaches out there. Do you guys keep an eye on them at all? A little bit of Biagi because he was right below us while we were there. I'm glad to see him starting with special teams drills and. I feel bad for Marty Biagi because until they block a punt against Ohio State, I will just think that he's not Brian Mason. So <laughs> he's a, he's between a rock and a hard place right now. I'm going to treat him like Notre Dame fans treated Tommy Reese when he showed up, and it took him seven years to accept anything. And I'm going to treat Biagi the same way. No, I think uh, I do think the culture is probably still there for Bar Brian Mason's special teams. I'm sure they have high expectations, and um, 
And as you have said, though, in the past, Tim and Pete, that's, I mean, it comes down for Marcus Freeman, too. He does, he puts it to the forefront, which you absolutely have to do. It's, it's the only thing you have to push to the forefront. Yeah, because everything else is at the forefront on Meta. It's like saying you need to push your quarterback. It's come on, you have to do that. Yeah, no, I agree. And, uh, you know, I mean, and I've said this before Brian Mason benefited from being under two coaches that really, really emphasize special teams. Obviously, Brian Mason's is a a very special coach, but I, I, you know, I thought in watching Gino Guaduli, I was interested to see how he he wasn't just interacting with the quarterbacks, he was interacting with the receivers and just the offensive players in general talk about a guy that'll be, you know, if they have success, which they are probably going to with Sam Hartman, a quarterback, the duel is going to be a, a candidate for a coordinator's job yeah. once again. I mean, it will perpetually be. Yeah. I, I, I tried to watch Joe Rudolph a little bit, but I couldn't hear him, unfortunately, which is a big change from Harry. He's <laughs> and somewhat disappointing, but that's, uh, you know, I think one of the things that I, maybe I've mentioned this before, like, talking to my colleagues at the athletic who covered Joe Rudolph either mostly at Wisconsin, but he really likes to sort of train right and left, like switch guys. So if you're playing right guard, you will also play left guard. Um, and I just say that in the sense of like, whatever we saw yesterday might not be what we see on Saturday might not be what we see in the open practice. Like I, if he keeps with that formula and like guard is a perfect spot for that, right? Because they don't have anybody who's established. You got to try out everybody at everything. Um, I'll be curious to sort of see how that plays out during spring ball. Yeah. For the record, Andrew Kostovic was at right guard uh, yesterday and Michael Carmody was at left guard with Billy Shrouth behind him. Uh, Rocco Spindler behind Kostovic at at right guard. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. It will be interesting to see, although O'Malley is going to be watching offense on Saturday and I'll be on the defensive side, but Tim, you'll want to keep an eye on, see if that, you know, if they do bounce around a little bit, but Carmody moving the guard was something that we had, we had talked about, you know, being a strong possibility. It certainly makes sense. You know, I mean, I, don't you remember, I, I, I believe it was Brian Kelly that talked about Carmody, you know, how strong he was for his class. I mean, I think he may have said that as when he was a true freshman. Um, well, I guess that was the one year that he was with him, but um He's too old, Tim, for people to care at this point. It's, there's, Is that you right? Those, yeah, yeah, you don't want the seniors, yeah. the veterans, yeah. don't matter. Yeah, so, um, well, we have plenty of football, plenty of uh, football questions, obviously, in the second segment, a little bit of basketball, but let's let's wrap up this segment with Michael Micah Shrewsbury. Uh, he was on our original list. I don't think he, initially when I put out that list that I knew just how high Notre Dame was on, on Micah Shrewsbury. Shrewsbury, geez, I'm having a difficulty saying that. Um, you know, Sean Sweeney was a guy that was very active in uh, making it clear that he wanted that job. Darian DeFries from from Drake has been really, really good. Pat Kelsey was a name I threw out there, but I don't know that Nord and he ever really, really connected for the job. But Micah Shrewsbury was the guy that Jack Swarbrick wanted after he offered it to Jay Wright, of course. That's that's okay. There's, yeah, that's that, not a, that, that one's okay. But we uh, don't need to make a T-shirt out of getting people turned out if it's if it's just Jay Wright and then Micah Shrewsbury's no. fine. Shrewsbury, I mean, from Indianapolis, his wife. I mean, it is a Indiana family. All of his coaching stops prior to going to the Boston Celtics with Brad Stevens after being with him at Butler. 
um, you know, have been in Indiana. And then of course, Penn state, he was with Matt Painter. I know Matt Painter hasn't done a great job here in the postseason recently, but that's a pretty impressive coaching tree. Yeah. I mean, even, um, Jack Swarbrick and Micah Shrewsbury's dad, uh, go back to their days as in, in Indianapolis, his, uh, like ah, Bill, yes. Bill Shrewsbury was a deputy mayor of the city. Um, so, I mean, their, their relationship predated this long, long time ago. Um, so I mean, maybe part of it, but yeah, I think the Indiana roots are interesting. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar who, with who Penn state's video coordinator was last year. Uh, it's Grady Eifert. You remember his brother? He was the tight end at Notre Dame. Griffin. Yes. Griffin Eifert. Is his yeah, brother. no, different brother. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Different brother, but uh, maybe part of the staff here is, or hopeful to be part of the staff here. So it's um, a lot of connections there. I give Notre Dame a ton of credit uh, for making what back of the napkin math would seem to be a $10 million investment in basketball. Um because I'm just frankly wasn't sure Notre Dame kind of had the appetite to do that. Um, but they went big on this one. So full full marks to Jack Swarbrick and the uh, administration for getting this one done. They went big, and this has nothing to do with Shrewsbury's actual coaching ability because, as has been pointed out often on the internet, not just this hire, but all of them, hiring the guy that has a two-game run in March is kind of the strangest thing a college AD could do because it really doesn't mean that much. So this has nothing to do with winning nine of his last 12, winning an NCAA tournament game, pressing Texas, almost beating Purdue. But it does help with recruiting right away that all those things happen because he is a lot more famous guy than he was on February 18th. No doubt about it. He finished uh, his Big Ten coaching career or his two-year stint in the Big Ten at five and two in the Big Ten conference tournament. Yeah, Uh, The regular season numbers are actually a touch less than his predecessor. Uh, but it, you know, I, I look everywhere you turn again, I, I mentioned the, the coaching tree, this guy is a highly respected basketball coach and, um, Jack Swarbrick just to veer off a little bit, you know, people are always asking us, when does the Jack Swarbrick tenure at Notre Dame come to an end now that the men's basketball coach has been hired and he's hired a football coach and two, two leaders of the basketball programs. Um, we may be reaching a stepping off point. I'm not saying immediately, but we may be reaching a stepping off point for Jack Swarbrick, who was, who was, has been looking for that. And then the pandemic hit and a lot of other things. And, um, you know, there's been so much turmoil in college sports that he's felt obligated to continue commandeering the ship until things settle down. And this hiring may, you know, actually uh, settle, settle things down for him and the, the future of his tenure at Notre Dame. We we do have some basketball questions in the second segment. Uh, I wanted to get into some stuff now, but I'll hit that in the second segment. Coming up, Burning Up the Board, segment two. Burning Up the Board, segment two, starts with a question from Thunder 2002. What players showed the most physical change, weight or muscle gain or loss at the first spring practice? On- this, is, this is funny because I said something to Tim right before we uh, began filming. I said, Jaden Mickey is shaped like a V, and so is Christian Gray, although that might just have to do with Jaden Mickey changing his number to a seven because now he looks so streamlined. <laughs> and then Pete mentions the numbers really make the guy look different the whole time, and I I totally agree. Um, I see Javante Jean-Baptiste running out there in number one. I'm like, oh, that guy's going to be coming off the edge like crazy. It has nothing to do with anything. But 
If he was 96, he wouldn't feel that. No, he would look he would look heavy and just goes, look at that lumbering guy on the road. They can't put him in the over there. He's in the middle. But uh I, I thought that um Jaden Thomas, just a stark improvement from last year, is probably the best way to bring it up. Um Priester mentioned Rico Flores to me while we were sitting there, like, man, that guy doesn't look like a freshman. And uh, I think you said Great House too, right? You just great said, house, yeah, well, Great yeah, House too, great, yeah. Yeah, Great House. It's hard because uh, yeah. I spent time up top and I was really just trying to see where linemen were aligned in those 25 minutes and right. kind of threw me off. The receivers were by nature of proximity to where we were, looked what was easier to identify. I, I think Tobias Merriweather no longer looks like, oh, Tobias Merriweather needs to get in the weight room because um, he's a lean track guy from high school. Like he looks like he's filled out a little bit. Um, I thought Jordan Botello looked like he had bulked up, but. I, you know, I don't know if that's good weight, bad weight, indifferent. It's that's impossible to say. Um, he just looks like a large, larger version of himself. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't really know. It, it It's kind of a hard question to answer. Um, I think Audric Estime looks great. He's sort of always looked great, but now looks maybe a greater version of that. Great. Um, like he, he is a physical specimen now. Um, and yeah, that's, he is, he is a specimen. So you got something to work with there for Dylan McCullough. Look, we, we certainly understand the question, uh, but it's, it's difficult. Sometimes the way, a, you know, the way a Jersey fits on, you know, one player or another, some guys will wrap it underneath their, you know, over the top of their biceps. You look at Chris Tyree, you talk about numbers, making a guy look smaller. It's just very difficult for us to make that judgment with one 25 minute period because we're trying to we're trying to see who's lined up where, who's doing what, who's over in the pit, who's injured. It's difficult for us to evaluate that. And a lot of times it has a lot to do with how the jersey fits. But those are some of the guys. I mean, I this, Rico Flores was like, wow, um, you know, that's a pretty well developed senior in high school, second semester senior in high school as we go further along you know with our observations not that we have a ton of them we have a full practice we have a practice uh saturday and then a full practice next saturday but that's the last we don't get any other full practices right yeah there's 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 i think only one more uh maybe there's two more five period ones thrown in there tough to say good question understandable uh a little bit difficult for us to be really definitive with it and no new heights and weights uh, as of yesterday. That's why there's another. So there's our, our cheat sheet is gone. That doesn't help you. Yeah, but that will, we expect those to be yeah. updated. And yeah. T.O. will do what he normally does with that. Another question for you here, Tim. Go Irish 82. Simple scholarship number at this point? 87. It went from 88 to 87 when Ron Paulus's, uh medical disqualification was announced. So, okay. So now we're talking about maybe adding a, safety from the portal i don't know if any any other position is still in play per se there seems to be i'm sticking with that over 1.5 though tim from the last podcast for sure now that he's already talked about going to get one something else happens during the spring and they get another you know i i know a couple of our readers have brought up the whole tight end situation with with bauman and raritan out in the spring you know obviously they're expected back in the fall, but both those guys have been banged up a lot. So do you, do you, yeah, I could see that they do like, so they have Evans Sherwood Flanagan. It's hard to, I mean, it's hard to say 
Flanagan could easily be a third third string tight end though, as needed, right? Coming in, that that could see that. Um, they got a lot of walk on. Yeah, they got a lot of walk. Oh, and Stace. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's where you go. Um, I think you could augment your lineup somewhere else more. So obviously, if attrition hits the tight ends this spring, it's a completely different conversation. Yeah, I think that's it's a spot where <laughs> you know if if there's somebody in the portal who's an elite tight end who wants to come just make a move because Notre Dame's the place to go, then you do it. But it would, it really would have to be somebody better than almost every other tight end on your roster. Um, whereas safety, I feel like if there's another Thomas Harper type of prospect, yeah, that's going to help you. And that'd probably be a better use of that scholarship. Yeah. And, and Pete, you use the word elite. I feel like the elite guys were already snapped up. Yeah. You know, I don't Why, why an elite tight end would want to leave Right. current program at all doesn't right. make a lot of sense. Like I, I think, uh, look at it this way. It's the May 1st transfer portal after spring ball. Michael Mayer's still at Notre Dame. Holden Stays has a great spring. Mitchell Evans could say, yeah, you know what? I'd like to go start somewhere for a little while. That type of guy, He and he's not an elite tight end, but he would go start, well, for Notre Dame, for instance, he would go start for Notre Dame right now. <laughs> but he would go start somewhere yeah. in that situation. Yeah, like, the, the you know, the pile has already been picked over yeah you know it's like heck i was writing a film review on on the defensive lineman from western michigan the first week of december gosh that's (laughs) amazing i mean uh you know i feel like some of those guys those are those are you know elite guy that's an elite guy coming out of the mac uh that went to florida state so i'm not sure how many of those guys are available but uh 1.5 tim you think over line. He's already oh. said he's going to go after one, probably. So I'm, I'm yeah, definitely yeah. going over on that. No, that's, a good, that's a good call. Next question from true sophomore, which is honestly every fan's favorite player, a true sophomore, because they can play more so than true freshman. Do you think Notre Dame now has the weapons on the outside to vertically threaten defenses with Jadarian price returning in the fall and Jeremiah love arriving this summer? Does Notre Dame now boast the best running back room in the country? Pete, you answer that first part. Uh, yeah, they have. Yes. But the answer is they have the weapons at quarterback to threaten teams vertically. Not, I mean, receiver is better. Don't get me wrong. I just said it might be the most improved position on the team, um, except for quarterback, which is the most important part of having a vertical passing game is the <laughs> passer than it is the receiver. Yeah, I think in in the deep recesses of our minds, every time you talk about receivers, you know, in the back of your mind, it's Sam Hartman that's going to be, whether you're yeah. consciously thinking of it, you know that it's Sam Hartman that's going to be throwing the football. And if Sam Hartman wasn't here, I know people would be very encouraged by what Tyler Buckner did in the bowl game, but he did get picked three times, twice for touchdowns. And so I'm not sure that we would all be as optimistic. And look, Tobias Merriweather and Deion Colsey still have a long, long, long way to go to be really considered elite receivers. But you know, I think we're more confident that those guys are going to develop. You, you, you have new hope for Lorenzo Styles to be Lorenzo Styles that was progressing and developing as a freshman. Caleb Smith is here, a veteran receiver, and Jaden Thomas. I think we're all very high on Jaden Thomas, where he's going along with a freshman. So it looks good. I, you know, I don't the whole best in the nation kind of stuff. That's why I was saving that part for you. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I just haven't been studying the whole nation, so I don't know it. They don't, but they don't have to be the best in the nation at running back to be really, really good there. So I don't know. I can't compare it, but I don't 
care to compare it because we know what Notre Dame has playing for him this fall and a healthy Jadarian price really makes that a hell of a running backs room. And I tell you what, go ahead, Pete. Like if let's say they're not the best in the nation, um, but yeah, and I'm going to argue Ohio State has the best running back room in the nation. But we can have Michigan's pretty good automatically. We can have a discussion about whether Notre Dame should be included. That's the win. The the fact that you're even having the discussion is a huge win for if you're Notre Dame. Um, So it doesn't matter for the best or not. They're really good. It's a really good running back room. It's a it's a college football playoff running back room, whether it's number one or number two or number seven. I, I'm not going to spend any energy on that. I just know that it's really, really good. Yeah. Two things. Last year at this time, that would be a preposterous statement. So to Pete Sampson's point, this is a great commentary on Notre Dame in the last year at running back. And number two, I don't know who had the best tight ends room in the country last year, but I would have loved to have Georgia's and Notre Dame's and everything would have been just absolutely fine while they're running around out there. All right. So we can move on and complain about other positions. We don't have to complain about no them. running back com- complaining does should not exist this offseason for Notre Dame fans. Question from Hobo Cop. Having Sam Hartman is an obvious boon to our offense in 2023. Does the Irish Illustrated staff see a benefit to Hartman's leadership slash approach carrying over and influencing the quarterback room and raise the ceiling for the eventual starter in the 2024 season? It's an interesting question, but I immediately thought of Jack Cohn having tremendous leadership and approach and being a awesome veteran for that room and it didn't do anything for the quarterback room last year. But Tyler Buckner coming back to Notre Dame, as everybody hopes for 2024, is a much better quarterback room than last year's quarterback's room was. So maybe Sam Hartman can rub off on him in a positive way because he's a really good player. Yeah, I mean, probably a little. Um, but I think uh, I understand the question. But mm-hmm. I, I think usually the the sort of influence on younger players can be a little bit overblown um, as we're looking for things to talk about. So we talk about this. I don't. I don't think Sam Hartman's going to unlock something in Tyler Buckner that's just suddenly everything is going to go. Yes, this, now I'm a great quarterback. I think that's that's Gino Gadulich's job. I I agree. I, in in general, I agree with what you're saying. But now that Tyler Buckner has tasted a little bit of playing time and some yep. success in a Gator Bowl, um, you know, I and 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 we all think that Sam Hartman is a natural leader. I I do think it can help Tyler Buckner. I don't think leading people demonstratively is it's not that's not a that's not Tyler Buckner's personality per se so I I mean I would like to think that Sam Hartman who could be the ultimate leader not because I mean because Tyler Buckner has a little bit of playing experience and has tasted it I think there's a greater chance that Sam Hartman can bring some of that out he's going to have an opportunity well, hey, Drew Pine was a leader. I mean, he was he was he he led emotionally. Uh, didn't didn't always have the physical skills to back, to back that up. Uh, but I, you know, I would tend to say yes. I in answer to this question, I would tend to say that I think as it relates to Tyler Buckner, I don't know about the other guys, but as it relates to Tyler Buckner, I think Sam Hartman can be beneficial to him. Next from Statman72, are players who are no longer with the program, quote-unquote, still enrolled at Notre Dame? If so, are they on non-football scholarships? If they are on scholarship, do they receive benefits such as training table, access to workout facilities, and academic support? Well, first of all, let me say that I they won't have access to training table 
workout facilities and no everybody every student has access to academic support but they're not on the football team so i don't i can't imagine that they would benefit from those things now as far as who's still in school and who's looking to leave and who's with the program do you i mean i don't know that i have no but there's an easy way of doing this most of the guys probably not all but most will stay this semester yeah there's no there's no reason for them to leave yeah it's it's almost april unless they're being told unless they've been told i mean they knew they weren't going to be with the football program probably in december january but unless they're told to leave for some reason i don't think anyone would avoid finishing the year it helps your transfer credits helps everything else uh you jump in the second portal may 1st i don't know how many will stay they're all juniors so here we go not all most are juniors he's probably asking how many are going to stay to graduate right no one that's serious about a division one football career they are not covid players from 2020 so they don't have that year they certainly all have a redshirt year because none of them have played enough to not have a redshirt year that's the type of people that are not with the program anymore have you noticed are the guys that have been redshirted and not played much I would guess nobody, maybe Paulus graduates and plays at a lower level. And if he can, if his collarbone or shoulder would allow for it, I'm assuming that's his medical disqualification because he missed a whole year with it already. Yeah, I I think a lot of these guys, once they retire, they sort of work around the program or sort of contribute in some way. Um, But some are not with the program, not medically retired. They are. Yes. Yeah. If if they choose to stay at Notre Dame, I think that is fairly typical. Um, But yeah, I mean, they're they're still on scholarship, but I I don't think that sort of the training table workout facilities are are part of that equation. No, but I guess I'm asking, and I think everybody's been asking this. There's juniors, okay? Let's say they're not ahead academically and they have another whole year of school, although they probably don't. They almost all will graduate by next December from Notre Dame if they want to. Can they stay all of next year on on scholarship? That's what we don't know. I, I, some, s- I mean, some players definitely have stayed medically retired for multiple years. I don't mean medical retirement. I mean, Caleb Johnson and Philip Riley and Josh Bryan. Oh, yeah. Don't medical know. retirement, you are always there on scholarship as long as you want to be able to graduate from Notre Dame, right? They're not going to. Yeah. Do we have to track the guys that leave too? Yeah, <laughs> I'd rather the- not. Well, people really want to know because this no, is I now public. That- but it's now public. This used to happen all the time. Yeah. Um, now it's public and people want to know if they're still allowed to keep their scholarships. So we don't turn into quote unquote Alabama or something like that. Terrible. Yeah. I I was just kidding, but sort of because it's hard enough to keep. I don't care is my answer is, you know, me, I don't care if they're they're on scholarship anymore. That's kind of how I feel. Or like so-and-so has 43 catches at Tulane or I, I'm I'm not fine. You're I'm telling me you weren't it. interested in Jordan Johnson's career after Notre no, Dame? I, I, I kind of was because I guaranteed a second transfer, and it's happened. Yeah, so just he never did catch a pass, did he? Yeah, that's, no. why he had to, that's why he had to transfer again. In game competition, yeah. No, I'm, I'm I'm being facetious, but um, there's a lot of guys to keep track of here at, at Notre Dame. Question from uh, Pink Robots: Whose ceiling is higher, Jordan Batello's or Riley Mills? And do either of them reach it this year? That is a great question, and I somehow missed it when you sent me these. I didn't read that one over. Whose ceiling is higher? Huh. Um, I will say Batello's. If you could teach, but I mean, if Batello can harness 
everything he needs to do to be an every down player. He was, I mean, per pass rush, he was the most successful pass rusher last year. That is completely nothing to do with what you're going to be facing now because people are going to see him in different roles or stand up regular role like Foskey. But I will say Botello has the higher, higher ceiling. Uh, I, I have to stick with my guy, Riley Mills yeah, here. That's your man since, um, since the original workout. Yep. So I got, I got to go with Riley Mills. Um, I, I just, you look at him and you're like, you, you are a future NFL defensive tackle. Um, so I, you know, it'd be great if they both hit the ceiling. This would be a very virtuous competition for Notre Dame's defense. If they were competing against each other to see who can hit their ceiling first, but, um, I'll stick with Mills. I just think physically he's there are not a lot of people built like Riley Mills, even on division one football teams. Yeah. Pink robots. Really good question. I, I don't think, I don't think either of them reach their fullest potential this year. I think it would be next year. Um, Riley Mills will probably be in the program next year again. Right. I don't know about Batello. Yeah. Batello should be, but yeah, he should. He should. Okay. Yeah, it, it's, yeah. it's, it's a good question. I mean, I, I, I would choose Mills because I'm not sure that Batello can harness everything that he needs to, in order to be as consistent to reach his full potential. If that, if that makes any sense, but they need them both to emerge right now. Um, they were both on my, my list of yeah. I'm, 10 I'm, guys the other day that I'm a victim of recency bias right here but I'm going to stick with my recency bias. And go that's fair. No, that's fair. They need them both. And I think they both can be a lot better yep. in 2023 than they have been. And that's really all that, that matters right now. From Joe Earhart, how much of an impact did Penn state's conference tournament run have on Shrewsbury's candidacy for the Notre Dame job, or did it just make him a well-deserved few extra dollars? Is Jack Scorbrick secretly happy to pay his buyout after the offensive coordinator debacle? I thought of that when you got, when Pete said yeah. he was surprised they paid. Yeah. Did Andy Ludwig help this contract for Shrewsbury? Yeah, he put in a call to. No, I mean accidentally. It's like, oh, we got to pay. This no, guy. no, he put in. Hey, man, thanks. <laughs> thanks for doing that. Uh, Penn State's run of the post regular season had nothing to do with it. I, you know, we mentioned early on that he was Nordame's top candidate past the the uh, obligatory call to, to Jay Wright, and so that had nothing to do with it. But it definitely made him more money and is Swarbrick secretly happy to pay his buyout. Um, Hey, that in order to get Shrewsbury, that's what it took. Uh, what'd you say, Pete? How much total? I mean, it's basically a $10 million investment of in basketball. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I know that uh, for a long time, Nordane basketball fans have been saying that they don't, Nordane doesn't care about the basketball program. And that's fair because, uh, um, they spun their wheels a lot here in recent years, but, um, you know, they, they ponied up, they ponied up. There's no doubt about that. So that's it for O'Malley and I, that, uh, that, that cover the the program on a regular basis. That that's exciting because, you know, again, I looking at recruiting the, the way we viewed recruiting in recent years, it's a, that's all, that's all out the window. That's all going to yes, change. Completely. It's going to be, such a, a a greater effort on the recruiting trail from the head coach. I, you know, recruiting battles in state with Indiana and Purdue. You know, it's not like Nordame has, it's not like Mike Bray. I mean, he got Wesley and Starling for crying out loud. I know some people have all also asked me about Starling. I, you know, whether, well, could he said that I, 
you know, I'm 95% sure that that ship has sailed. So that's, yeah, I think it's more than that even, but I would say as a credit to Notre Dame, like I was interested, like how many basketball coaches went from essentially power six jobs to power six jobs that are employed now. Mm -hmm. I, I could only find 10 of them. Um, you know, Buzz Williams, Shaka Smart, Rick Barnes, Kevin Willard, Chris Beard, Ed Cooley, Bob Huggins, Jamie Dixon, Bill Self, Tony Bennett. And I guess Mike White, you throw in there too, and from Florida to Georgia. But like, so that's 11. <laughs> 10 of them made the tournament last year. I mean, that's a, if you have power five experience already or power six experience, would you include the Big East in it? Like hard to find a much better measuring stick of how good you are as a coach than having already done it at the level that Notre Dame's trying to do it. So I give, again, it's, you know, I give Notre Dame a lot of credit for being able to make this kind of move happen. More basketball. CA Irish does Shrewsbury hire, does the Shrewsbury hire change your timeline on Notre Dame returning to the tournament? Is it possible we could sneak in after year two as Penn state did under Shrewsbury? You mean like at the end of year two or in year three, I think he means at, he said after second, year two. Yeah. I think he means in year two, like the second season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 2025 is Notre Dame in the tournament. I'm just, we just need to see the roster composition. Uh, I'm I, not, I, I felt like they could be in the tournament that year because I don't believe it's that hard to turn a basketball program around. That's dying to be turned around and can with the right coach and recruiter. They got the right coach. I think they got the right recruiter. As I said, if you get a grad transfer that's a senior right now, three of them, two of them, they are eligible for two years. They did not play during the COVID. The COVID year does not count unless you go out and get a guy from Yale. That would be a mistake. Um, there, are, I mean, there's two years of eligibility for grad transfers. Then you, there's more grad transfers coming the next year. You get one transfer in that's not a grad transfer maybe and recruit the heck out of it. And I mean, I'm not sure this is a great example apples to apples because Capel was at Pittsburgh for like five years. But Pittsburgh was absolutely miserable last year and just all of a sudden had 24 wins and it was in the tournament. And they had guys that had played at nine schools in their starting lineup previously. Nine previous schools. All I grad still, transfers. I just still get don't think they, I, I still don't think they're very good. <laughs> no, but you don't have to be. That's who we're I mean, talking just, about. Well, yeah, in the ACC, you, you don't have to be. Here's, here's a couple things to consider. Okay, uh, Shrewsbury signed the number 40 class in the country two cycles ago, three of those. So they were freshmen this year. Three of them uh, played roles for Penn state this year, supplementary roles. I don't know if any of those are candidates to come to Notre Dame, at least not this moment as I'm sitting here. We do know that Braden Shrewsbury an incoming freshman will be, will be coming to Notre Dame and not Penn state. But the key guy there is the number 73 player in the country from that class a power forward by the name of Kerry Booth. If he can come to Notre Dame with Braden Shrewsbury from that class, that would be significant. Don't know about that. Uh, I am told that Logan Imes, who's the third person in the class, the lowest rated of the three, but still top 200 from Zionsville, Indiana, which is just like 130 miles from here. I believe he'll be visiting Notre Dame this weekend. So that looks really promising. So those are a couple of ways that they can supplement the, uh, this roster right now, there's just four uh, guys on the roster returning, and that in, in, is include including Lubin. Hopefully, I mean, at this point, if you're not keeping Vanell and Lubin, you probably weren't keeping Vanell and Lubin because I'm not sure who he was sticking yeah, around yeah, for. If it's no, not true, probably true. But I was told that he was going to wait to see who was hired. So he that's may. The, that's what I mean, though. It's not. 
who was he thinking to, to well, make I himself stay? But, but I don't know. But I'm saying that just because Shrewsbury's been hired now doesn't necessarily assure that he stays because yeah, he, I think, he's part of a rebuilt roster too. Yeah, I think O'Malley's point though is fair. Like if you if Shrewsbury hire wasn't going to keep you to stay, you were never going to stay. It's not. It's not like he was waiting to see. Well, I wonder if they're going to hire Norman Dale. Like, all right, that's fair. No, that's you know, fair. Like they, yeah. this is a and on your point, Kerry Booth, the that top prospect is the son of Calvin Booth, who was a player of much renown at Penn State. So that there's there's more to that than just now there the is. head coach. Yeah, there is. And then Don Campbell is still in the in the portal. And you know, hopefully and I think that's a big body. If he can get in shape, I think that's a big body that can I help too. Him. I think you got to pull him back out of the portal. So, yeah, somebody's really got to defend Armando Baycott next year. That's amazing. What I said, I said everybody, <laughs> all our listeners really immediately just... sent text to Tim. And did Pete. you see, our, did you see Baycott's tweet about it? Yes. yes. It's an all time tweet. He put Perry Ellis's picture. But just put out a photo of Perry Ellis from Kansas. Remember him. He looked like he was 87 years old by the time of end of his career. Does he just not want to enter the real world or does he not feel uh man if i was a big man at north carolina um i would be a big man at north carolina for as long as possible yeah i'm sure nil's being will will be very kind to him once again well i don't know i haven't actually seen his nil deals have you guys seen those on the table at north carolina like does he maybe pitch subway or i don't know his name image and likeness and they have to give him something to do right so well sarcasm is there yes when i say nil it's no it's now (laughs) maybe he's got a podcast <laughs> All I know is Andrew Baycott has now seen Matt Zona succeed, and that will be the matchup we are once again looking forward to next year. I'm surprised he came back knowing that knowing that Matt Zona, he'd have to go head to head with Matt Zona once again. Matt Zona, he came Matt to play. Zona is going to become a, 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 a I don't know about significant, but a, but a key component here. He, yeah. look, look how look how he finished his. His junior season. Yeah, it's t- almost t- like he maybe could have played a minute before that game. It's oh, yeah, like. Tate's Matt Zona autograph is going up in value. So there it is. There it is. Big time. Uh, last question from Twickenham ND, kind of football basketball combination. Notre Dame has replaced its head coaches in its three biggest sports in the past three years. Who will be the last to leave among Freeman, Ivy, and Shrewsbury? And who will be the most successful? Um, well, never would I say last to leave as a Notre Dame football coach because no matter how successful you are, you eventually are going to get burned out in that decade range, decade plus range. So I will say Ivy is the last to leave because it's a rolling program. She'll just keep rolling, probably. Uh, most successful. Unfortunately, I can't say Shrewsbury because it's third in terms of success rate at Notre Dame over the last 40 years. Um I mean, Ivy could even win a national title more than Marcus Freeman could. I'll say Ivy is the most successful. Uh, yeah, I would I would agree with all that. It's you know Notre, Notre Dame is set up to win in yeah. women's basketball more than they are in football or men's basketball. If you right. want to grade on a curve, I could get Freeman in there, some yeah. type of curve. That, yeah, I the, the, yeah. like when you put it in those terms, set up for the most success. The historic recent I, history of that program is off I, the charts. I yeah. would agree, but I don't necessarily believe that that's how it will play out. So I will say, I will say Marcus Freeman will be the most successful. And I'm not going to say Ivy doesn't have huge impediments to winning national titles because she obviously will have three to four and a half every year. But man, does Marcus Freeman have a couple of 
big, big obstacles to win that game too. No, there's, no, there, there's, there's no doubt about that. And as far as leaving first, I don't have the slightest idea. Yeah. I got nothing for you on that one. <laughs> I Irish. Like I don't, because Shrewsbury is like so yeah. new. I mean, you got to kind of hope. Just logically, maybe you get Shrewsbury for a decade plus and Ivy a decade plus and Freeman can't go past that. So I guess he could. You, I mean, you could if you're recruiting at like an Ohio State or Georgia level at that point, then it eases a lot of your pain, I suppose. But it's a tough job to have more than 11 years, right? And it's 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 different with Ivy because there's, I don't know what professional women's basketball. That's what I mean. There's make, the options. Different. Yeah, it's. She was an easy answer for who's staying the longest for me. I thought that was the easiest by far. Just, uh, just using straight up math, like where, where has she got to go? Yeah, no, I, I, you're right. It's a good question. We had a couple of really good questions here to to, to wrap up today, but we are going to wrap up with that. And uh, we have uh, an open practice, five periods again on Saturday. So I probably will say, well, I can't tell who's more physically <laughs> advanced than they were, but we'll keep an eye out for that. Certainly while trying to to chart who's lined up where first team, second team, And then we'll be back on Monday, March 27th for another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. Thanks for joining us. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider. This is Mike Brown, former Notre Dame leprechaun, here to share the Leprechaun's Game Day at Notre Dame an officially licensed children's book that celebrates the magic of a football Saturday at Notre Dame. Follow me on an adventure from Step Off Under the Golden Dome to ND Stadium with this perfect gift for fighting Irish fans. Visit www.lepgameday.com and enter Irish to get your author signed copy today. Go Irish!